O heavenly King, comforter, spirit of truth, who art everywhere present and fillest all things, treasury of good things and giver of life, come and dwell in us and cleanse us of all impurity and save our souls, O good one. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Please be seated. Good morning, everybody. I was talking with a friend recently, and he commented that his sense in just moving about the world at his job and his family, hanging around on, at a coffee shop on a weekend, that, that there seems to be this sense of cynicism in, in our world right now. Everywhere, there's almost a, a, a joking quality to, well, what else is going to happen? You know, this kind of feeling. It seems like uh, the pandemic and all that has surrounded it in the last few years has brought not just a sense of our frailty, because that has happened, by the way, right? COVID and all the rest that's been, been around it the last few years has reminded us that we are frail. We are full of limitations as human beings. We're not in control. Uh, we're not uh, uh, immortal. But it's not just the sense of frailty. There almost seems to be like a desperation, like, oh, who, who even cares anymore? Have you seen all of those memes that have been circling around the internet about how 2021 was just sort of 2020, you know, redone, and now 2022, it's like the same thing? And then, then you've got folks saying, are you kidding me? You're going to, now Betty White is going to die? That's, I mean, what is this world coming to, Right? It would seem cheesy if it weren't so true that when the darkness is the darkest, even, even the smallest light shines bright. Maybe it's, maybe it's in times of cynicism, like the times we live in right now, when God would have us as Christians not surrender to the cynicism around us, but actually shine the light of Jesus that God is writing this story, that he's in charge, that he is good, that he has a plan. So this is our theme today from John chapter 2. Jesus is, and we are, God's signs of life in a cynical world, in a world that's all but given up. We are signs that something is still right, something is still working, someone's still in charge. If you would, find page 71 in the back of your blue pew Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 2. John chapter 2, the back of the Bible, page 71 in the New Testament, so you can follow along in this story. Jesus breaking in the light and life of God into a cynical world. Signs of life when we need it the most. John presents Jesus, you might remember, in chapter 1, as uh, equal to God. Remember, this is how he begins his, his gospel. In the beginning. So we have, in the beginning, God created the world in Genesis, and now in John, we have another, in the beginning. And in this, in the beginning, Jesus is with God. Jesus is with God the creator. John says Jesus embodies in his person the light and the life of God. And then in verse 5, we have this memorable passage. The light 
shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. John 1.5. The light of Jesus shines in the cynicism, and the cynicism did not overcome it. The light of Jesus shines in the midst of human frailty, and human frailty did not overcome it. So in the rest of John's gospel then, after chapter 1, what we have is a number of examples of what it looks like for the light of God, now incarnate, now with us, to shine. What does it look like when the light gets turned on in a darkened room, in a world filled with cynicism? What does God's light look like when it shines? Specifically, John is going to go through in his whole gospel seven different, uh, he calls them signs that Jesus is going to do, enact, that shine the light of God in a darkened world. And today's story, chapter 2, is the first of those seven signs. So Jesus is, in a sense, kicking off, as it were, the shining of God's light in a darkened world. The first of the seven signs, the story of the wedding at Cana. So look with me in chapter 2. We're going to just breeze through this story together and make some observations about it. Notice in the beginning, at the top of the chapter, you've got Jesus, his mother, the disciples, and they're all at a wedding, at a wedding. Of all places to kick off the shining of God's light and the signs of Jesus' miracles, isn't it interesting that John chooses the setting, the context of a wedding? Weddings in the Bible, I'll just tell you, are a big deal. Weddings in the Bible are occasions of new life. So Jesus is going to shine God's new life, new light into the world, and he's going to do it in a context where the whole point is that new life is coming together. Two people becoming one entity. It's interesting, Roman Catholic uh, theologian Bishop Robert Barron says, the weddings are the only sacrament wherein the two people don't receive the sacrament. They become the sacrament. Something new is created. And then, of, of course, as, as, you, as you know, uh, the coming together of these two people is, God willing, going to physically create human life. So new life is everywhere in this setting. In fact, in our reading from Isaiah this morning, we have a hint at how uh, the Bible pictures weddings because our relationship with God is, is, is imaged as a wedding. This, this is from our Isaiah 62 reading. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your builder, that's God, marry you, Israel. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Now, this carries through in the New Testament. In Ephesians, for example, St. Paul says, Husbands, love your wives. How? Like Christ, love the church. So Jesus is pictured as the bridegroom. We're pictured as the bride. In the book of Revelation, at the end of the biblical story, what happens? A huge wedding feast where God and humanity are united in a wedding. Weddings are occasions of new creation, the literal context in which physical life is coming about. And so that's where John places Jesus and his first sign. Now, here's the plot of the story. Here's where things get interesting. At this wedding, the groom and his family, they're responsible for throwing a huge party, a party that might have lasted, say, seven days or so. But they've run out of wine. Now, this is potentially 
not just socially awkward and embarrassing for the groom and his family because their guests won't have anything good to drink now, but I mean, this could trickle into like social problems, politics are involved. Just think, you know, who gets seated where at a wedding? Who gets invited? Who doesn't get invited? Which church is the wedding held at? And so on and so forth. I mean, I'm getting nauseous actually just thinking about it right now, but it's not just socially embarrassing and awkward. It's, it's a big deal that they run out of wine for a seven-day feast. But Jesus keeps the party going. Here's the second sign of life. It's not just the context, but what happens. He keeps the party going, and he doesn't just purchase the wine. He creates it out of nothing. This is exactly what John just told us in chapter 1, that this Jesus figure is equal to creator God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, now, John chapter 1, Jesus, he's going to bring new life. In the beginning, with Jesus, he creates new wine. In the beginning was the word, and this word goes to a party and creates wine out of nothing. One of my professors used to ask, where were the grapes that made the wine at the wedding at Cana? Where were the grapes? There were no grapes. God doesn't need grapes to make wine, right? He creates the wine out of nothing. So Jesus brings God's light and life, his creative power in this wedding. Moreover, it's not just that uh, that Jesus brings new life in this setting of new life into a darkened world. It's how he does it. Scholars would say, isn't it interesting? The symbolism, there's, there's lots, John loves symbolism. He loves to use symbolism to tell the story of Jesus. So, by the way, you might have noticed at the very top of the passage, John sets us up with a, a symbol that we don't have time to explore by saying, on the third day. Come on, guys, you know what happens on the third day in the life of Jesus, right? This is in our minds. The third day, Jesus rises again. The third day, Jesus brings new life at a wedding. There's another number given to us in this passage, and it's the number of the jars that Jesus says, go fill up those jars. Six jars of water. And the water, John tells us, were jars used for uh, ritual purification and cleansing. So let me sum it up for you. We've got these six jars of water, the number six, uh, you might know the number seven means completion. The number six means incompletion. And you have these six incomplete jars of ritual purificating water, all standing for the old way, the, 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 the old way of doing life with God, the law. Think Moses. Jesus comes onto the scene and says, I will take what's been incomplete and partial. I will take the shadow, the water that can only cleanse you outwardly, and I will complete it, right? I will make it complete. I will turn it into wine. This is a commentary on the inadequacy of the Jewish law to bring about this new life that, that God uh, ultimately had in mind. So from water to wine, from law to grace, from Moses to the better Moses, Jesus, signs of God's life in the world. One more thing, notice the end result at this party. There was not just a little wine, there was an abundance of this new creation. 
These jars could each hold, we're told, 20 to 30 gallons, so upwards of 180 gallons of wine. And Canon Tepper said, you know how many bottles that is, don't you? 950. 950. Peter is counting. Verse 10, it's not just an abundance of wine, but this wine apparently right off the bat has a taste, a quality that far outdoes the wine that had been served. Verse 10, this is better wine than what we had at the beginning, says the chief steward. So the end result of God's new life, it's plenteous, it's abundant, it's overflowing, and it's tasty. Not only that, it's efficacious because in verse 11, the conclusion to this little story in John, Jesus' first sign, look at verse 11, and his disciples believed. John in John chapter 20 tells us later in the story that he tells us all these signs that Jesus does explicitly because he wants us to believe, to see the glory of the creator God in his son Jesus. That's John 20 verse 21. Here's the point. The new life of God that Jesus brings into the world is plentiful, abundant, without compare in terms of quality, and it accomplishes exactly what it sets out to do, belief in him. Friends, in this season of epiphany, the season of the manifestation of Jesus to the whole world as the light of the world, we celebrate that the light of God has come not only invading the darkened world at Christmas as a little baby, but that in his life, death, and resurrection, and now living in us, that we too bring this light into a dark and cynical world. I can't imagine a better message for right now through another rise in COVID numbers, and it seems like this will never end And we're at this point not even saying uh, anxious things about the world. We're, We're at the point of joking. We're at the point of the absurd. The absurd. The cynicism is thick. Notice then what we prayed in our collect for the day on this second Sunday after Epiphany. Find it in your bulletin, if you will. Notice what we pray. We don't just pray about Jesus. We, we have a specific request that's actually for us as the people of God. So we pray, God, whose Son, our Savior, is the light of the world, grant that your people, that's us, illumined by your word and sacraments, may shine with the radiance of Christ's glory. Here's the invitation today on the second Sunday after Epiphany We are invited not only to believe anew in who Jesus is as the light of a cynical world, we are invited to be that light ourselves because Jesus lives in us. You say, how in the world am I going to do that? Like, what does that even mean? Our collect, again, is so helpful. It lays it out for us. By your word and sacrament. By the way, when you hear word and sacrament, word and sacrament, that's sort of a a shorthand version of saying worship. The two big pieces of worship you'll notice are first we read the word, then we celebrate the sacrament, word and sacrament. 
the gospel in the scriptures and the gospel put on display, even experience with our five senses in the sacrament of the Eucharist, word and sacrament. You say, Josh, that sounds a lot like you're saying, how do I get illumined by the light of Christ to shine in the darkened world? I just come to church this year. I would say, yes, that is accurate. That, that is what I'm saying. Come to church, right? Be exposed to the light yourself so that you would then shine forth. You may not feel it happening to you, but I promise you, as you allow the word and the sacrament, the presence of Jesus to shape you this year, you will shine the light of Jesus I have a, a diver's watch, not because I'm a diver, uh, but because it looks really cool. It's, a, it's not an expensive one or anything, but it's actually the first kind of watchy watch that I've ever owned. The fact that I just said watchy watch will tell you all you need to know about my, the depth of my uh, hobby and watches. One of the cool things, though, is that probably like a number of your watches, it glows in the dark after it's been lit for a while. There's something... Uh, it, it, it's made of luminous quality so that you stick it in the light long enough and then if you were to turn off the lights afterwards, it would continue to glow for a, for a little bit of time, right? So what I'm saying to you is, based on this collect and the story of Jesus at the wedding at Cana, please write this down. Are you ready? Here is your, your instruction for the year 2022 from your priest. Come to church and get lit. Every Sunday this year, come to church and get lit, all right? And like my watch, when you leave, you will shine. This is not, uh, you're not going to get lit by the sermon. You're not going to get lit by someone's personality, by a great solo. You're not going to get lit even by the beauty of the building. All these things will help, but really, you're going to meet Jesus. That's how you're going to get lit. And you know what? Every Sunday at this, you're going to actually end up at kind of like a wedding at Cana, because every Sunday, that's what we have a wedding banquet here where we renew our vows to God and he renews his vows to us. And then we, ha- we celebrate with super abundant, plenteous, very tasty, I might add, wine. This is how it happens. This is how we get lit with the light of God shining it in a darkened world. We expose ourselves to the light together every weekend at a wedding celebration where the wine is flowing. And it's the wine of the God-man. It's his blood. It's a sacrifice made for you and me. Lord, we ask you um, at the beginning of this year to help us to know how to carve out spaces in our lives together, even amidst a pandemic and all the other busy stuff that we have going on, help us to know how to be exposed to your light, to your power, to your energy, to your grace in the gospel, through the gospel, by word and sacrament this year. Direct us, guide us, Lord. And as we come and surrender ourselves and our schedules and our our busyness before you, Lord, would you make it so evident? Would you transform us, change us from water jars into wine? Let us bring your light into a cynical world, we pray. Amen.